All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 73 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, how is you? (laughs) Just dandy. Happy to be back. It's been, what, a couple weeks? No, about a week and a half. I think we're a little bit better than bi-weekly. I think we're releasing an episode every 10 to 11 days, which is which is good. But uh, I was hoping that we would have reached 100 episodes by our two-year anniversary, which is coming up in January. But it does not look <laughs> like there's any <laughs> chance in hell we're hitting that goal. Hopefully, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to number 75. It seems as if we may fall a bit short, which uh, kind of segues... Nicely into our story tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Right you are, pal. Because tonight (laughs) is going to be one of the most bizarre cases that we have ever covered here at BTC. So Chris, with all that said, why don't you hop in, buckle up, and let's start this wild ride. Uh, Doesn't seem like she wants to turn over. (laughs) Chris, please. (laughs) No, this is not going well. (laughs) Tonight, we are discussing the case of Elizabeth Carmichael and the Dale. For those of you that may not know, the Dale was an automobile, more precisely, a three-wheeled car that was, I'm going to say created, uh, in the early 1970s. And it was designed to be extremely fuel efficient due to the fact that this was taking place in the 1970s when we were going through a huge energy crisis. Gas prices were through the roof. There were tons of gas shortages. The lines to even get gas were out of control. People were waiting hours upon hours. Now, the Dale itself was a very interesting automobile, but maybe not as interesting as Liz Carmichael herself. But uh, Chris, before we dive into everything, would you be okay with me asking you to <laughs> describe the physical features of the Dale? Well, uh, this is basically what looks to be a very weird aerodynamic, I would say, looking car that had three wheels. Uh, there was two in the front, one in the rear. And as you mentioned earlier, this was meant to be a very, very fuel efficient car, getting up to what was claimed to be as much as 70 miles to the gallon. Now, we're talking about cars that even today our hybrids don't even get. So they're basically saying using some sort of uh, a different lighter material that this car can be made cheap and affordable, but getting great gas mileage. The price tag on this thing was only going to run somebody about $2,000 back then, which would have been the equivalent of around 10 or 11,000 today. So it's a very cheap car. Now, I'm loving this, Chris. This is the inflation calculator that we are using within the BTCRF, the Between the Cracks Research Facility. And I'm just going to keep throwing up that little uh, beeping sound effect every week. (laughs) I mean, we have to make use of this thing. We put in some good money. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Chris, we should mention that the Dale itself was in its infancy stage. Now, it was at that point that old Carmichael here began looking for investors and she had people believing in the fact that this was the future. This was the future of the automobile industry, which it has since become, but that was not the case in 1973 during this crisis. Now, Chris, uh, 
we've gathered some information here in the BTC RF that Carmichael herself was not the inventor of the Dell. Am I right? That is correct. Uh, she actually worked with a man by the name of Dale Clift at the United States Marketing Institute in Los Angeles. So this was prior to them opening up this company called the 20th Century Motor Car Corporation, which is where this vehicle was advertised under. So this this new company that they formed, which Dale had apparently invented, uh, I don't know if they both came up with the concept for how the car actually looked, but he had the idea for a three-wheeled car with low gas consumption. And so together, they start this company, they design this car, they reveal this car to people. People, as you can imagine, especially in the crisis at the time, were just absolutely thrilled with this idea. And now you have investors jumping at the opportunity to, to get involved. So this is the future. And while, you know, a three-wheeled car seems kind of odd, and, you know, and today it would even seem odd, it's the idea of a very highly fuel-efficient vehicle, which, you know, as much as it was a futuristic idea, it it was the way that the future was going to be. So thousands come running. Yeah, you're right, Chris. Anytime there's an innovative design or invention that seems like it could propel itself into uh, the mainstream, especially in, in time of crisis, you're obviously going to have people that are going to jump on it. And as you alluded to, they had received tons of investors. Dude, they had upwards of over $3 million in investments. So this marketing idea of Carmichael and the actual design of the car by Dale Clift, they put their heads together and came up with this campaign. And the word spread like wildfire. It was even mentioned on The uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, apparently. And that is what kind of propelled it to the next level. This got so much attention that Liz Carmichael was featured in Newsweek, People's Magazine. I mean, she was this like star entrepreneur. She has degrees in mechanical engineering and business from Ohio State University and Miami University. This is highly accepted by society right now, and everyone sees her as this star. She became essentially a star at the time. And uh, right you are, but we mentioned before that Carmichael was working at the USMI, the United States Marketing Institute, where she met Dale Clift. So it seems that she used whatever knowledge she gained there to help market this idea. And it exploded. The idea of a three-wheeled, low-gas-consuming automobile was something that was so futuristic that it, it captured the imagination of the people, and it also helped protect whatever they had in their wallet. And that's a win-win, no matter how you slice it, bud. I mean, it all sounds great, but let me ask you this, Chris. What could possibly go wrong? Well, if I was a betting man, I'd say uh, this all went very smoothly. The uh, first car was designed and uh, shown to the good people <laughs> of the country. They accepted it, and uh, thousands, even tens of thousands, went to production. Pal, I gotta hit the buzzer. Wrong you be. Now, what? <laughs> yes. So you mean to tell me that uh, things didn't go as planned? That, didn't they have three giant hangers that they were using to produce these cars? Well, yes, they did. But before we go any further, Chris, as I like to say, we need to go backwards to go forward. Chris, you had just mentioned the three hangers that Carmichael said that 
her and her group of engineers were using as makeshift manufacturing plants to get these Dales made and out to the public. So now the attention just keeps growing, dude. Everybody wants one of these things, you know, and they're hearing that they're being manufactured. So people are in a rush to get these things. With that type of attention and focus, people begin to wonder, how is Carmichael and her company that you mentioned, the 20th Century Motor Car Corporation, how are they doing this? At that point, the DMV got a little curious, didn't they? Let's just say that old Liz got a visit from the California Department of Corporations. They stated or accused Liz of illegally selling dealer franchises and cars. So she had no license to do this. They wanted to check in on the manufacturing plant and uh, see what was going on. And furthermore, they wanted to know why Carmichael did not have any of these permits <laughs> to actually create these automobiles. I actually went back and watched an old episode of Unsolved Mysteries, you know, with uh, Robert Stack. And they actually did a really good job on this uh, reenactment that they did. It actually helped me a lot when uh, researching this case. The investigator that they sent out there was a gentleman by the name of Bill Hall. And he was an investigator for the DMV. So old Billy Hall did his due diligence. He went to investigate this, Chris. And I believe he hit up a couple of uh, known locations of the uh, 20th Century Motor Car Corporation. Yeah, uh, he checked out their research and development lab, and uh, apparently it was no better than our BTC research facility. Whoa, whoa what do you mean? <laughs> Basically, uh, upon investigation, uh, these people were just appearing to be busy doing something. <laughs> Carrying stacks of paper around. The beeping uh, noises that we use here, the just like computers going haywire and shit. A guy just drilling into a piece of wood. <laughs> like... So, okay, so he, he goes to this lab and he, his suspicions are raised. So even though he sees people working, according to him, it doesn't seem like they're really accomplishing much. Hall then proceeds to go to the actual airport hangar to see the automobiles themselves and... Upon entering the hangar, he finds a pristine manufacturing plant. I mean, these things are rolling off the shelves. Right, pal? <laughs> if you mean by rolling off the shelves a spotless, completely empty hangar, then yes. No, no. <laughs> what do you mean? Man, there is nothing to be found in this place but some dust on the ground. <laughs> So he opens up, at least from his account, he goes to this airport hangar, opens the doors, and they show this on that um, reenactment too, opens it up, and there is literally nothing. <laughs> he says that it was completely empty except for some dirt on the floor. And so you can imagine at this point, after you know th this company getting all this attention, getting all this money, and even selling cars and dealership franchises... For a car that does not exist. Or did it? We come to find out that this is not sitting well with old Billy Hall here at all. He decides to take things up a notch. That's when he goes and gets a search warrant 
for the research and development lab that he had visited a week prior where he said that he saw the people engaging in very bizarre work methodologies. <laughs> and by work methodologies, I mean accomplishing absolutely nothing. So <laughs> Hall goes in there with the search warrant and Chris, you're not going to believe this. He does indeed come across the Dale. He finds the car. So all must be well and good in the world. Right, little buddy? <laughs> you are right. They do, in fact, find the Dale. That picture of the Dale, that three-wheeled vehicle. And upon opening up the door, a few things are a little off. For starters, the gas pedal, uh, <laughs> well, it's... um. It's just laying on the ground. It's not really attached to anything. No, come on, man. <laughs> the uh, doors themselves are being held by, well, what you'd appear to see on your home doors, hinges. Well, wait, you, well hold on a second. You're telling me <laughs> that basically they are uh, just uh, hitched on there um, with a couple of old uh, door or cabinet hinges? That's right, pal. And the windows? <laughs> Don't even get me started with that. They were bendy. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, uh, they weren't made of glass, that's for sure. <laughs> Fucking saran wrap windows? And um, let's just say that this car had a, uh, well, a bit of a frame that was made of 2 by 4 to hold up the back wheel. <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe it's just a prototype, Bill. Don't judge. I, I, I'm not. It could very well be. But it seems to me that for a car that had uh, $3 million in investments, perhaps you could do a little bit more than a 2x4 and some uh, rusty old hinges. Well, you would think, but it, it turns out that the window wasn't the only thing that was flimsy. Uh, apparently... Old Liz's story was a bit flimsy, too. Ooh, flimsy indeed, Chris. So with all this going on, she, she's not sticking around. Carmichael decides to move the business to Dallas, Texas. But unfortunately, the business move to Dallas did not last long <laughs> because two weeks later, the DA there filed criminal charges against her for grand theft. It's at this point... Armed with another search warrant, the Dallas police arrive at the home of Liz Carmichael. But, once again, she has vanished. Liz and her five children were nowhere to be found. Now, this is where things get even a little more interesting. Upon uh, entering the home with the search warrant, the police find some very telling items uh, regarding Liz Carmichael. Chris, what'd they find? They found some, uh, how do I put this? Lady things? Um, there's a, what appears to be some sort of, I, I, I guess it's almost like a vest of some sort that kind of protrudes in the chest area. Uh, there's a wig. And uh, just, you know, lady things. It seems that the police had found um, a girdle and... Um, how would you want to put it? A prosthetic that would enhance not only your bosom, but your buttocks. It, it appears that Geraldine Elizabeth Carmichael was more of a Gerald, if you catch my drift. What are you saying, Chris? What I'm saying is that 
Geraldine Elizabeth Carmichael was born Jerry Dean Michael. So you're telling me that Liz Carmichael was indeed a man by the name of Jerry Dean Michael. That's right. So, I mean, this throws a wrench in the non-existent engine of the Dale. <laughs> indeed it does. Uh, let's, just for, you know, for to get a visual here, Liz is six foot two over 200 pounds so she had quite the presence uh but apparently nobody really picked up on the fact that her stature was that of a man they didn't even consider it if you look at some of the photos it's tough to tell i couldn't really see it right from the start but what's odd on some of the people that they had interviewed that worked with liz they said she had a very commanding presence and she was very strong and one guy even said that she basically wanted to be a man (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> wishes do come true. <laughs> I mean, my God. So, I mean, this is really uh, insane at this point, Chris. So now the police have to be scratching their heads and wondering what the hell is going on. Not only is Carmichael gone, but they don't know whether now if she has completely changed her identity. Is she Liz Carmichael? living as a woman, or is she Jeffrey Dean Michael living as a man? And, you know, obviously if she cut her hair and got rid of all the prosthetics and shit, she'd be unrecognizable, or he would be unrecognizable, however the hell you want to look at it. We do end up finding out that, well, I'll refer to as Jerry Dean Michael at this point, did actually have prior arrests before starting the 20th Century Motor Car Corporation, but because she changed her identity, that was left behind in the 1960s carmichael aka jerry dean michael faked a serious car accident so that she could shed her identity as jerry dean michael and it was from that point forward that she changed her name to liz carmichael in the late 1960s so let's get back into the search for carmichael chris it seems at this point they get wind of the fact that liz is in miami with her five children. After all this, they finally catch up with her and they figure out her real identity, that Liz Carmichael is Jerry Dean Michael, as we said. And they do a search on him. They find out that he is still wanted for uh, a number of crimes that he had committed prior to becoming Liz Carmichael, bilking people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, according to the, uh, the Unsolved Mysteries wiki page. In addition to that, she also had an outstanding warrant for counterfeiting. So, you know, whether it... So are you saying that she had a list of counts as long as her stick shift? (laughs) No, 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 no. We are not doing that here tonight, Chris. (laughs) So, (laughs) yes, there were a list of... There were a list of of charges for both uh, Jerry Dean Michael and Liz Carmichael. So, uh, you know, whichever one you choose, throw a dart at them. There's a laundry list of charges against (laughs) both of them, but both of them being one person. And uh, it all comes to a head on April 12th of 1975. And that's when Carmichael was finally arrested, sent back to Los Angeles and put on trial. Chris, what happens at the trial? Well, apparently she still is claiming uh, innocence here and says that the 
that the car was real and that it, it would still be released if she wasn't, uh, you know, currently being put on trial. And that's the interesting thing here. You look at her track record. She has all these prior charges of swindling and counterfeiting and whatnot. And this seems to fit that mold. I'm wondering if Carmichael actually believed in this product, you know, because it's kind of interesting that she even stuck around to make a prototype, right? From the interviews that I saw with some of the engineers that she had hired, they all seemed to believe in this uh, this concept. So, I, I mean, maybe it was just an idea that she had that, you know, she had no way of backing up. The idea was sound, I, I would say. Perhaps not even really her own idea because Dale Clift was the one that kind of created the car or had the concept in his mind. Upon this trial, Chris, we come to find out that all was not well with Carmichael because, you know, we had that laundry list of offenses, but it's also noted that she cheated Dale Clift, the inventor of the Dale, out of the money that he was due because he sold the rights of the Dale to Carmichael. But get this, Chris, she never paid him. So she's just a downright crook. So we can look at it and say, oh, well, maybe she had good intentions. But, I mean, one thing after another is leading us down the path to uh, see who she really is. In my eyes, it's not a very good person. Now, Chris, you found an interesting quote that kind of backs up my claim there. What'd you find? Well, it seems that uh, Liz was uh, perhaps looking out for old number one, as they say herself. She is quoted saying in the New York Times that I don't care about the public. I only care about money. And I'm not here for the good of the people. I'm here for the good of Liz Carmichael. I'm going to build the public exactly what they're looking for and I'm going to knock the hell out of Detroit doing it. That does not sound uh, promising for old Liz's case (laughs) as far as her being a genuine person. Yeah, perhaps... uh, That was a sign right there that uh, she wasn't going to fall through. Yes, that definitely was a sign of things to come. So let's get back to the trial for a second, Chris, because we find out that on January 24th, 1977, Carmichael is convicted of conspiracy, grand theft, fraud, and counterfeiting. Guilty on all charges. She was released on $50,000 bail. And let me just pull up my inflation calculator here uh, at the BTCRF. Let's see. uh, We're looking at $50,000 in 1977. Woo! Her bail, if this took place in 2021, would be $228,208. So it's quite a bit of money, but not as much as I would think for bilking people out of over $3 million. But... Either way, Carmichael is released by paying the $50,000 bail, but we find out that she's not the one that paid it. It was paid by a TV company that wanted the rights to her story. (laughs) And what an interesting story it is, Chris. So she takes them up on their offer. She's released while she awaits sentencing. And Carmichael, being the upstanding citizen that she is, she didn't show up for that sentencing. Self-destruct sequence activated. She fled yet again. She skipped the sentencing, took her five kids, and split. And get this, this time she disappeared for nearly a decade. Carmichael is just a very smart and cunning person. And if it wasn't for the aforementioned Unsolved Mysteries, Carmichael may never have been caught. Because uh, I'm reading here on the Unsolved Mysteries wiki page, thanks to a viewer tip, Carmichael was finally arrested on April 19th, 
1989. Two weeks, a mere two weeks after the show was broadcast. And it just so happens that this person who was watching the show was able to recognize Carmichael via the age progression photo that they used on Unsolved Mysteries. And, you know, she put two and two together and was like, you know, I think I know this person. I definitely know this face. She called the hotline and said that uh, she believes that Carmichael is a flower vendor who is working near Austin, Texas, by the name of Catherine Elizabeth Johnson. Get this, Chris. This is the craziest part. Carmichael was living in a town right near Austin, Texas. The town, and I kid you not, of Dale, Texas. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Uh, Coincidence? Or did she see the name and figure that was where her next place should be? Yeah, Um, I mean, right? It's insane to me because one of the uh, detectives had alluded to uh, the fact that if she did indeed go back to living as Jerry Dean, Michael, she probably never would have been caught. Cut her hair, went back to living as a man. But no, she stayed as Liz Carmichael. This helped lead to her arrest. But not only that, just the fact that she chose a town named Dale, Texas, that seems crazy to me. Yeah, certainly ironic. But it's the end of the line for uh, all Catherine, Jerry, Elizabeth... Geraldine. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever the hell this is. But this is crazy, Chris, because it's later revealed that on April 26th of 1989, soon after her capture, she was returned to California and given a 1 to 10 year sentence. Now, (laughs) that's um, that's quite a gap. As they usually are. And we find out that she really only spends 18 months in prison looking at this Chris and you know 18 months to two years or whatever the hell she served that seems to be a very very small price to pay for bilking people out of three million dollars all in all Carmichael got off light so upon her release from prison Carmichael continued to live as a woman and uh lived uh, a very quiet life from that point forward we think hopefully she was done swindling people out of money But uh, unfortunately, in 2004, Carmichael died of cancer. And that's where the story of Liz Carmichael ends. But there is still proof of this whole story, Chris, because the Dale itself is up for viewing, if you're interested, at the Peterson Automobile Museum in Los Angeles, California. That's it, bud. That is the story of Liz Carmichael and the Dale. I mean, my God. That was a really interesting one, I mean, and one of the more bizarre ones that uh, we've ever covered. I would say so, yeah, definitely. I mean, this this was less of a uh, violent crime or a haunting, but uh, definitely an interesting case nonetheless. All right, Chris, so let me give the rundown. I'm going to start this car up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't fail me now. Let's start this thing up. All right, perhaps I'll just give the rundown uh, <laughs> whilst I'm walking out of here, Chris. You want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with us on Facebook at the Between the Cracks Podcast, Instagram, Between the Cracks Podcast. And uh, what else? If you'd like to become one of our Patreons, you can click uh, the link in the show notes. If you want any BTC merch for some uh, unknown reason, you can click on the link in the show notes as well. So with all 
That said, Chris, why don't you say we wish the fine, fine people out in podcast land the fondest O a farewells. Hey, mate. Oh, my God. Oof, I thought this one was good. Oh. Oh.